0: to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. And we are into our month of sequels. We did this last year in February. It was Todd's idea and I thought it was a good one and so we decided to do it again this year and Um, When we started talking about it, I just went online and started searching around for interesting horror sequels, and I kind of made a list um, of things that sounded interesting to me, and uh, I sent it to Todd, and one of the ones that I sent him was the movie that we're doing this week, which is The Fly 2. There are a couple of reasons I wanted to do this. First of all, we've already done The Fly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our friend Simone co-hosted with us that week, and we had a lot of fun talking about how sexy Jeff Goldblum is, and... all that stuff. He's a big Jeff Goldblum fan. <laughs> that's right. And uh, <laughs> we, I was surprised to find out that neither Simone nor Todd had seen The Fly 2. And that's the other reason that I wanted to do it is because this is a movie that, for whatever reason, I saw a lot when I was a kid. I feel like they must have played it on cable or, or I, I don't know, network cable or something when I was a kid. And I'm pretty sure that I saw The Fly 2 well before I ever saw the original. Oh, I see. Yeah, and I may have been drawn to it because Daphne Zuniga is in it, mm. and I was a big fan of hers from Spaceballs. Yeah, And uh, Eric Stoltz uh, plays the main role. He plays Martin Brundle, uh, the son of uh, Seth Brundle, Jeff Goldblum's character from the first movie. When I was a kid, I really liked it. And I haven't seen it, In well over a decade, I'm sure. Um, And I was kind of interested to go back and check it out. And uh, I don't know. My feelings about it are a little bit mixed. Mm. Positive, for the most part, but a little bit mixed. You hadn't seen it, right? So did you know anything about this? I knew
1: nothing about it going in. I didn't even realize that it picked up right where the first one left off. And actually, (laughs) I mean, I think it's a fine movie. There's nothing horrible about it. It's perfectly serviceable. I just, you know, I think um, after watching The Fly, both versions, you know, and, and you can go back and listen to our podcast on The Fly. We're not going to talk too much about the originals, but you've got to a little bit when you're talking about the sequel. On our original podcast about The Fly, I talked about how not only is The Fly by David Cronenberg an amazing and emotionally powerful film, but even the original with Vincent Price Is surprisingly emotional uh, for a different, slightly different reason, but along the same lines. It just seems like this story of this scientist who gets unwittingly pulled into his experiment and starts to transform into a fly, the wonderful thing about it is it really focuses on the people around them. Mm-hmm. What does this do when the person is breaking down? Yeah, it's horrible for you, but it's interesting how those, both of those movies seem to focus more on how does it affect others, and that's where I think the real emotional resonance is I, I didn't have high hopes for The Fly Two. It's not mm-hmm. I think a very notorious film. But it just doesn't really mine that same emotional content really that, that the original two did. It would be difficult to do it or else you'd be kind of making the same movie a third time. Sure. And it really tries to, I think. It's it's trying to get there, but in the end of the day, I think it's just kind of a monster movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and that so so as a monster movie. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. We've seen much worse. Of course, we've seen better. uh, But there's nothing wrong with this film. Uh, But in the lineage of what came before it, it's a bit of a letdown.
0: Well, that's how I ended up feeling about it, too, in watching it again. And in the first, I don't know... 30 minutes, maybe even 45 minutes, I don't know I, I I thought that it was really kind of going places and then in the second half, it didn't fail to entertain me, I was engaged uh, and I was enjoying it and there were interesting things going on but um, I did find myself thinking you know, this, it, it really is inferior to <laughs> uh, the original and that's not really saying much, you know uh, the original is kind of, well Excuse me, I guess I'm talking about the Jeff Goldblum, which isn't the original, but the one that directly precedes this movie. Uh, it's kind of revered as a classic for the reasons that you've said. Not only because um, there was a lot of innovation with the special effects and practical effects, and uh, but also because it does have such emotional resonance. And like you said, they go for it here. And, and there are parts, there's one part in particular that just kills me in this movie. But
1: <laughs> I think I know which part you're going to say to
0: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's really hard for you to guess which part it is. Can't wait for us to get there. But uh, I ultimately, I, I did end up enjoying it. And I, I think that some of that comes... I, I think Eric Stoltz does a really good job in this movie. You know, he's got kind of an interesting role to play. Play. The movie moves at a really fast pace. It it's an hour and 45 minutes, and uh, it, it moves along, so there's a lot going on. So I expected that we would have tons and tons of plot to, to cover, and and maybe we do. We'll see how it ends up. But I ended up not taking as many notes as I expected to. Yeah, Like you said, it, it basically picks up right where the first movie left off. Um, I don't remember what Gina Davis's character's name was in the first movie. Do you? Uh, no. Veronica? Something like that. I think it was Veronica, yeah. something like that. Um, but anyway, we find out in the first movie that she is pregnant. She has become pregnant by Seth Brundle and and she became pregnant by him after he did his whole teleport thing and it was really before he had started to go through any major transformation, but the DNA swap had already happened. Right. So she's pregnant with this weird fly DNA baby. <laughs> and we knew that uh, at the end of the last movie. And this movie picks up when she is giving birth. Um, Gina Davis chose not to reprise her role. They wanted her to. Um, they asked her, uh, and she declined um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, there was a fantasy birth scene in the Jeff Goldblum movie, and she had found that somewhat traumatic, and didn't particularly want to relive it, which is what this role called for. Yeah, that would have been everything she did in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, that was the other reason that she wasn't particularly interested, is that her character only really appears in the very beginning, and she dies in childbirth. And that's that's what happens. You know, it's this tense birthing scene, and um, she ends up giving birth to some... I don't know. Like, the science here is pretty wishy-washy, but... She, she gives birth to some kind of, like, pod or something, <laughs> and, and then she dies uh, even before an infant emerges from this pod. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. This
1: pulsating, grotesque-like pod thing comes out of her stomach, and then uh, after they've clipped the cord, they break it open like they know to do this or something. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and and you're right. Inside of it is this perfect, fully formed infant. Yeah, I think when you're dealing with genetics and DNA mutations, especially in science fiction and horror, we, ha- we have to give a lot of leeway to anything can happen. And that's pretty much where you've got to go with this. Yeah. There's no hard and fast rule about uh, what the fly can and can't do, how fast he mutates, how he mutates. And this sort of thing happens a
0: couple times in this movie. <laughs> right. And and that's, you know, okay, so that's where it picks. Up. Well, she gives birth at the facilities of uh Bartok Industries, um which I don't know. I know it played a role. Was that who he worked for in the original I, I was was he
1: maybe getting his funding from some investors or from some guy or something? Maybe maybe. I, I think it's kind of so. gone in a little bit because the Bartok Industries in the original had Kind of nothing to do with him. He was on his own, doing his own thing, and under very little supervision, as I remember. Pretty much in his apartment. Right. Well, not his apartment, like a studio somewhere.
0: Sure. Well, anyway, now they are running the show, apparently. And uh, when this baby, who they named Martin, is born, um, they keep him under observation like strict observation like they basically raise him in a lab they tell him eventually that he has this just this genetic disorder that's incredibly rare only two people have ever had it him and his dad Um, of course they don't go into any detail and and tell him that he's a fly or anything but the main side effect i guess of this genetic disorder that is observable is that he ages at a rapid pace. So when he's 11 months old, um, chronologically, he's really like three or four year old kid. Yeah. And we see them doing, you know, like some blood tests on him and it's a little heavy handed. Like the scientists, there's, there are two scientists that seem to be kind of in charge of him. I called them, the bitch in the douchebag, because yeah. that's basically... <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you're right, it's heavy-handed. These two, like, um, it's, it's established pretty quickly, well, when he's a baby or an infant. Dr. Janeway says to Mr. Bartok, who is, of course, the head of Bartok Industries, and basically considers this kid his surrogate father, because he's like his corporate parent. Right, right. She says to him... As a clinical subject, I find him astonishing. But he does try our patients when it comes to medical examinations. And by the time we see him, you know, years later, as he gets older and older, these people just hate this kid's guts. Like, nobody can be nice to him at all, uh, especially
0: these two. It's hard to see why. He's not a bad guy. No, not at all. He's actually very polite and mild-mannered, and, like, he totally goes <laughs> along with everything that they tell him to do, and they're just yeah. mean. Yeah. Is it just
1: <laughs> jealousy, or is it just this weird, like, he plays a trick on one. One of the guys. He's got this, of course, when he looks like he's, I don't know, 10 or 12, he's really only, what, four or five months old. He has all these science experiments. He can put together all these things. He puts together this contraption that goes onto his head and, uh, interestingly enough, kind of makes him look like a fly in a way. Yeah, He's got little antennas and stuff. He like squirts water at him, the bad scientist, and he's, oh, not again kind of weak how it establishes their hatred for him it just seems awfully strong
0: it, uh, it and honestly like seriously the kids there are two kids you know that play him as a child one very young who we only see for a matter of minutes, really, and then another one who's probably like ten who you know he's a cute kid, yeah. and like he's a mild mannered kid like there, it just doesn't seem like there's any reason for them to have such animosity i I mean I guess everybody hates their job, like <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't
1: know, maybe if your job was to take care of one kid every single day who's not yours, uh, yeah, I guess it's like you yeah. know a few years of babysitting. Uh, that would turn anybody off, especially especially if your kid is aging at a rapid pace and you have to go through all these phases so quickly.
0: <laughs> well and and like they they give him these shots every day that they tell him, you know, is to slow his genetic mutation or something. I don't know, but like it's and, and the lady doctor even seems to like find joy in stabbing yeah. this kid every day. Like <laughs> I feel bad for this poor kid. Well, we're talking absurdity. There's this this sequence
1: where he is uh, getting his uh, blood drawn, and he's a little older by this point, and she stabs him, and he says, oh, you missed the vein, and she doesn't even seem to care. And then, like the needle breaks off on his arm? Uh, Like, how does that even happen? It it, it
0: was just so bizarre. I always thought, you know, it's, it's silly, but when I was a kid, I always thought, oh, it's because, you know, he's this genetic mutant, so maybe his, like... is really super strong or something like that I don't know if that but you're right first of all he says you missed the vein and then the needle breaks and blood starts shooting out of it Yeah, if she missed the vein blood is not going to come shooting out of the needle very good point (laughs) but whatever science be damned yeah um When he looks about 10 years old, uh, we also find out that he's incredibly intelligent and and his mind is maturing even more quickly than his brain and he's super, super smart. So uh, he wants to get out of his little room, but they won't let him. And so he, I think, memorizes the number on one of the mean doctor's security tags, and he gets into the computer and he makes himself up a security tag where he can pretty much go wherever he wants. The first night that he gets out, he finds a lab full of research animals. He takes a liking to this beautiful golden retriever and they spend a very nice evening together and like <laughs> the dog lays in his lap and he pets the dog and it's all- have some wine some snacks you know candlelight no it's just you know he finally has somebody to talk to you know Mm. it's like it's kind of his actual first real connection with anybody he feels a connection to Mr. Bartok I don't know what his name is because Bartok treats him favorably and calls him his son so you know he does feel a connection to him but this is a guy that just shows up a couple times a week to pat him on the head and you know like it's not a real relationship yeah, it's 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 not affectionate. It's just you know, okay, you say you're my dad, so you are, so whatever. Yeah. So it's sweet that uh, you know he makes this connection with this dog. And I just have
1: to say, he he makes his way to this dog. You know, you see a lot of crawling through air vents in movies. This has to this has to be some kind of record for the largest air vents I've ever seen. Anybody,
0: this kid could practically walk through the air vents in this uh, facility. <laughs> it's, it's, you, you know, because they're always like. Sn- sneaking around and trying to get away. And in this movie, like, he's creaking through these air vents, and it's the noisiest thing ever. Like, surely somebody would hear, like, what is that? <laughs> like, uh-oh, raccoons <laughs> in the vent again or something. They're like whole rooms and hallways
1: in the up above the suspended ceilings in all of these offices. <laughs> it's crazy.
0: Anyway, yeah. so uh, the next day, I guess, uh, they serve him dinner in his little lab room, um, but he stuffs it away in a plastic bag and then he's going to go take it to his friend the dog, and so he goes to find the dog, and the cage is empty but there's a tag on it that says that it's been moved to like area 17 or something, or I guess intuitively he finds this place, and he walks in to this big observation deck full of people who don't notice him walking in wearing his huge helmet <laughs> and we get the reveal of the pods from the first movie oh it is dramatic too oh yeah and it's this big orchestral score like it's it's very exciting <laughs> <laughs> and uh so and you know having seen the first movie we know what the pods are they're these teleportation pods or whatever and that's what caused all the trouble in the first one and so he watches as they put this dog in one of the teleportation pods. And, of course, we know that something terrible is going to happen, but he doesn't, and it's very, you know, like, he's waving at the dog, and, like, the dog sees him and is, like, whimpering and excited to see him and stuff, and then the teleportation happens, but then this monstrous creature of a dog jumps out and attacks the scientist. Now, I have to say... (laughs) I have been putting myself on a time crunch to watch these movies, and so my partner has been forced to watch these movies with me the past (laughs) several weeks. And um, this is not a movie that is up his alley at all, but Mm. he agreed to watch it, and I told him, because we are both big-time dog lovers, as soon as we saw the dog, I said, do not get attached to this dog. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, oh, does he at least get to live for a while? And I was like, I don't remember, but don't get attached to him. (laughs) Yeah, so Sort <laughs> of and uh and after i said that you know like he's like does he get to live for a while like then it's right away that he gets teleported or whatever and then this you know puppety monster dog jumps out and he's like oh well that's stupid and <laughs> and i was like i was like no seriously it's horrible like <laughs> yeah don't don't even think about it anymore cuz it pops up later, and it oh. just devastates me. But that's getting ahead of myself. <laughs> this is how you, you break Craig down, is you
1: put scenes like these in the movie. It, just put dogs in there. When horrible things,
0: happen. I can't, I can't handle it. Yeah. I, I, don't like, I, I can watch people get, you know, hacked to bits by chainsaws, but you hurt animals, and I just can't deal with it. They're just too sweet and innocent, and I can't, I can't deal with it. But anyway, oh, man. so the kid is, uh, you know, traumatized by this, but Bartok is there, and he tries uh, to comfort him or whatever. And then we cut immediately to his fifth birthday party where he's fully grown Eric Stoltz yeah Bartok tells him for your birthday what do you want and Eric Stoltz is like you know what I want he's like okay I know you want your privacy you want to get out of this room because he's lived his whole life in this room where they can watch him from behind mirrors and stuff and he says all right And he takes him on a walk, and he takes him to this lovely studio apartment (laughs) and says, this is your apartment, you know, it's your private place, no more prying eyes. No more mirrors. Yeah, no more two-way mirrors. Now, real quick, before we get there, this
1: scene for his birthday party, when he asks him if he wants his privacy, he tells him to say the magic word and make the mirror go away. Martin turns toward the big double mirror and I guess does something or literally says some word under his breath and the mirror shatters?
0: No, he throws the champagne bottle at it. Oh, he did. The, okay, uh, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Bar- Bartok hands him the champagne bottle and says, they they had a weird scene before when he was a little kid. and yeah. like, this is, It seems so odd. Like, I don't really even know how this... It just seems like such an odd concept in this movie. But when he was a little kid, Bartok said to him, "You know,
1: it's knowing the right magic word that makes it happen. It's a real magic word, a secret word that you keep locked away inside your heart, and you never tell anybody. No, you don't tell anybody, and that's what makes the magic work. It's so dumb. It's so random. It, yeah." yeah. Well, you know, when the credits come up on this movie, it says that they've got five writers on it. And in some ways it shows. And this is one of them. Like, You just wonder if this was something that was just a, a nibble of a bit that should have been bigger or, or in an earlier draft of the script made a little more sense than it does in this movie. But it, it, you're right. It just seems super random. It does come into play later. But again, yeah. it's,
0: it's just... It's really poor. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: weird. It's weird.
0: It seems superfluous, like... You're right. Like, it was a plot element that kind of just got diluted at some point, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Well,
1: okay, that makes sense, because I didn't see him toss that bottle, and I was thinking, is he psychic now? What is
0: this magic word, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, he tosses the champagne bottle. And then he also offers him a job. Because they've been working on these telepods, but they can't get him to work. Yeah. And so he wants Martin to continue his father's work. And he says, you know, your dad was kind of a genius and maybe that was passed on to you, so I want you to work on it. Martin says, I don't like these things. And he's like, I get it. It's about the dog. I'm Mm. really sorry. And he says, I promise you, we did everything we could for your dog and I promise you it didn't suffer. Mm. And so he convinces him and so then... Martin starts working on the pods. Interestingly enough, Jeff
1: Goldblum makes an appearance in this movie, which was mm-hmm. clever. Um, he, he's not actually in the movie as himself, obviously, because he's dead. And he's not in here as flashbacks either. But if you remember from the first movie, uh, he had this thing where he was videotaping his progress. And that was a pretty happy accident because then they can pull up these videotapes which are you know in storage at Bartok Industries um, for him to watch. So that's how he gets to know A little bit about what's going on. And I feel like here there's a real missed opportunity. It's really just a couple times we see him talking about some very specific things about the test or about himself. But there's almost a total detachment between this kid and these tapes of his father. Mm -hmm. Here would have been a very interesting moment to get him a little emotional about you know i mean he's kind of maybe by this point since they've let him out they've given him a little more free reign he's diving back into his father's work to continue it um you'd think oh he, he's starting to maybe feel an attachment or start to question you know what was my dad like what what was his work all about what drove him you know what's driving me what's my legacy there's none of that it's just not that kind of movie. Mm. Uh, and so he watches a couple tapes, and I think one of the tapes was a, was actually pulled from a deleted scene yep. that they um, didn't include in the original Fly, so that's kind of nice. They had originally intended to do another tape that, that would have required Jeff Goldblum to come back and get makeup and stuff, and so I guess they canned that idea. They didn't want to pay him, or he wasn't willing, or something like that. Right. So... Um, we don't see too much more of him, but we do get little glimpses of him, which is always kind of nice. Yeah. When you can th- throw back to the earlier movie with a character. The only other guy who carries through in this movie um, is the like the third, the second guy. Like, There's kind of a love triangle thing going on in the original. And um, yeah. that character, uh, Stathis, I think was his name. Yep. Yeah. He comes in later, played by John Getz, but he's the only guy uh, carrying over from one movie to the to this one. Sometimes a sequel can seem really cheap yeah. if there's absolutely no link. You know, this kind of link between the two. And so it was nice that they could do that, I think.
0: Well, and I thought that it was cool and I guess probably just kind of a happy accident that the footage that they were able to use was footage that was not used in the original. So Mm -hmm. it feels kind of fresh. I mean, it's not really, but it feels like it because we haven't seen it before. I mean, they could have very easily just used some of the footage that we actually saw in the first movie, but, you know, that would have been. Rehashy, which there's nothing wrong with that, I suppose. But it's nice that they had this additional footage that they could show us. And yeah. uh, the only thing that bothered me about it was that they dubbed over Gina Davis's voice and the, uh, the lady who replaced Gina Davis. Apparently, they cast her because she looked like Gina Davis. Well, you barely see her at all. Yeah, she's got a
1: oxygen mask over her most of the time anyway. Too. Yeah.
0: So what's and she doesn't sound anything like her. I almost would have rather they had somehow. You know, cast somebody that sounded more like her than looked yeah. like her because that took me out of it just a little bit. But, but I agree, it is nice that we get you know this cameo of uh, Jeff Goldblum, even if it is old footage, but old footage that we haven't seen before. Yeah, so. Awesome. And he is uh, also working night shift
1: because he doesn't sleep. It's just like a fly, you know? He has a very short lifespan, yep. and so he's working around the clock. And while he's on night shift, he decides to go out and, I guess, explore a little
0: bit. He's looking for something organic. He gets the pods working where they will effectively transport non-organic material, but he needs something organic, so he goes out looking for a plant or something.
1: And then there's a bit of hardy har-har. He, he sees a little fly on the ground that is attached to a string that gets pulled away and then gets tossed again. And so when he go, grabs it and goes around the corner, it turns out that there is a woman in there who is practicing her fly fishing.
0: Yeah, at work. <laughs> oh,
1: my God really who's which one of the fives idea was this it's a really, yeah. yeah it's not it's not clever it's really stupid it is but anyway this turns out to be like you said um daphne zuniga i think she did this just a year or two after Spaceballs.
0: yeah uh mel mel brooks recommended her yeah. yeah for the role yeah. and she's not you know I like her she's really pretty and she's really endearing <laughs> she's not the greatest actress no. in the world uh especially towards the end of the movie where the emotions start to get heightened she's a little melodramatic but um she is very charming and they they do she and eric stoltz have a nice chemistry which i appreciate it but her name is beth and and she has a cactus so there's <laughs> <laughs> some organic matter Right. Uh, I mean, it's clear that he's immediately drawn to her as a young man who's never been around a nice pretty girl before would be. <laughs> and so he, he tells her that he's working on the most important invention of all time. And she's like, ha ha, good line, Romeo. Heard that one before. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, seriously, come look. He tries to transport the cactus, but it comes out. A mess. And she's not even impressed by that. Like, come on, throw no. this guy a bone. He just, <laughs> it
1: may have come out wrong, but he teleported the darn thing.
0: <laughs> right, true. <laughs> like, the pot was still okay. Like, <laughs> she just,
1: like, rolls her eyes. Okay, try again later. <laughs> Call me back when you get this right.
0: <laughs> exactly. And immediately after that, we have that scene that you talked about before where the needle breaks off. But what's interesting about that scene is that he tells the doctors that for the first time ever... He slept for two hours, and he's impressed by that. And it seems like we're supposed to believe that because he met this girl and had this interaction, like he's feeling and potentially becoming more human, or like at least that's kind of yeah. the impression that I got. It kind of gets dropped. I'm, it's tenuous. Again, this
1: seems to be like a thread that they're maybe introducing, but it doesn't really go anywhere else from that. It quite goes the opposite, to be honest. So, um, after this, uh, there is a romantic montage where we see him dancing with her in the shadows of the lab, sharing a candlelit dinner with champagne on the, (laughs) on the catwalk above the lab. Doesn't really take us out of their lab too much, actually. Right. At this point. It's basically the first movie. Yeah. Uh, with this little twist that this that this guy doesn't know, you know, he didn't do this experiment himself. He's already this way. We're getting exactly the same thing. There's a relationship kindling between these two people, and you know it's not going to end well anyway, if that's the way that the first movie went. So right. I was kinda rolling my eyes at this a little bit. Maybe if I had just seen the movie by itself it wouldn't have felt
0: so weird. Although it still feels a little rushed. It does, but at the same time it's so eighties. Like oh, you know what totally. I mean? Like There were always these romantic montages, right? And so, I don't know. I don't know if it's nostalgia or what, but it didn't bother me. In fact, I thought it was kind of (laughs) cute. And especially since he, you know, like, he doesn't have anybody. Like, he's really just alone. And so, now at least he has a friend to, like, dance in the lab with. You know, that's nice. (laughs) I just wanted to know if he had told her he was five years old yet. I know! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. Uh, they sleep together later. And yeah, <laughs> I, I turned to my partner. It's like she just slept with a five-year-old. <laughs> uh, so, so bad. But it's okay because he doesn't look five. That's all that matters, right? No, I'm just kidding. That's a terrible joke. He performs like a five-year-old, too, so... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sex seed was awful. Okay.
0: Yeah, so so they uh you know they have uh this little romance and then she uh, there's going to be a get together like a work get together like in the building, I guess. I, I don't know. It's it's all weird. It's like it's this big compound. I don't even understand. But it, it, So she invites him. She's like, would you come? And he's like, well, are there going to be people there? And she's like, "Uh, yeah. He's like, oh, okay. You know how I am about people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's totally me. Like, are there going to be people there? <laughs> anyway. So he goes, and she's there, and she looks all cute, and she's talking to one of her girlfriends, and she's like, I don't know, he's really shy. Hoping he's, ha- I hope he's having fun or whatever. We see him, and he's just standing there very awkwardly. But this group of people walks by, and they're talking. I've
1: never seen anything like it said, before in my life. What the hell is it? It's
0: just genetics. We don't make them. We just keep them alive.
1: It's so ugly. Are you kidding? He's our pride and joy here in specimens. our longest-running engagement, so to speak. Two
0: with, that's been alive for two years. Called Timex. Takes a licking, keeps on ticking. <laughs> and so he gets curious and he walks in the direction that they were coming from. And this didn't bother me when I was a kid, but it's so stupid, really, now. He walks out, like, onto the roof. Now, the scenario is stupid because why would this thing be where it is it doesn't make any sense yeah. like he's like on the roof and he looks down into like this big you remember in star wars <laughs> when
1: luke skywalker gets tossed into this pit and i don't even was it at job of the hutt's place remember yeah and yeah. everybody's looking down and this cage opens up and the one corner, and out comes this giant monster towards him, and the ground's covered with hay yeah. and all that. that. That's like what this pit is, it's right?
0: Like- but it's like an observation deck, like and, and like they're like a story above the bottom of the pit that they're looking into. And it's just this gross, nasty pit. Like, yeah. why? Why would there be this, like, observation deck on the top of this building right outside of an apartment? Like, I don't... <laughs> or whatever. I don't even know. Because it wouldn't be super dramatic if it wasn't. <laughs> right. Fair. Okay, so then this is the part that just kills me. And I... It, it really shouldn't, but it does. So he looks down there, and what's in there? is his dog in its terrible, terrible, deformed, tortured state. And this is clearly a puppet, you know, some sort of, I I don't even know if it was animatronic, if it was being moved by somebody off screen, I don't know. Like, it doesn't look real at all all it looks totally fake but it's grotesque and it's making these horrible sad whining sounds now and... wait a second when you
1: say it looks totally fake do you just mean that something this grotesque is going to look fake or did you did you think it was kind of ineptly made
0: well i don't know if inept is the right word but it didn't really it didn't look organic to me mm. it looked like little bits and pieces were moving. Yeah, like, it was slimy and stuff, but it looked like a Jim Henson creation more than oh. something that... Was actually alive, and thank God, because I couldn't have handled it. looked <laughs> more real than it did. I can't handle it. That what I'm getting at is I can't handle it, even though it looks fake. Ah, like, right. It's it's just cruel. The like, idea of it kept, is just terrible. They've yeah. kept this poor, horrible suffering animal i'm gonna sit here and cry talking about that's how awful it is like (laughs) they make a point of saying it's been two years two years that this poor animal has been suffering in this terrible pit and like not only that but like they shove in like some slop for it to eat and it really is just like just disgusting and it it drags itself over and it you know is eating this slop and it's clearly miserable and then it just howls like in misery and it's terrible and of course it has a terrible impact on him because he knows what it is and he cries and cries and runs out and Daphne Zaniga chases him and I don't even know if she knew what was under there or understood what the significance of it was I I don't know. But he shuts her out. He blames her for it somehow. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Right. I don't know either. I mean, I guess just because she's part of the organization. I don't know. Maybe because he's five. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He's five. (laughs) But uh, he he runs away and he locks her out of his space and he says, I never want to see you again. Don't come around here or whatever. And then thank goodness you know he doesn't waste any time in going back and putting this poor thing out of its misery but the scene just kills me because yeah. he he walks in and the dog lunges at him as it had lunged at the scientist you know earlier but of course it would it's a terrified in pain animal i mean that's their instinctive reaction and when he doesn't react in fear or with violence then it calms down and it actually it seems as though it recognizes them and you can just see this poor fake (laughs) disgusting dog you can see its tail start to wag and it just kills me like literally i'm crying (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't and blame you And he sits down with it oh, He sits down with it And puts his its head in its lap And pets it And then, thank God, puts it out of its misery But I swear And I'm sitting there With my partner And we're both just silent And just staring at the screen And I look over at him and he doesn't even look at me And he goes, I hate this movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> well no joke. I, I gotta get I gotta come to your side on this one. This this was the most emotionally heart wrenching scene in this film by far. This got to me too. What a horrible, horrible thing. You know, even back with him um, befriending this dog. I mean, forget for a minute that it's a dog and we just bad things happen to animals is horrible. But it was almost shades of evil speak. You remember that with Ron Howard's yeah, yeah, brother yeah. where he you know is this kind of lost guy and he his only real friend in the world is this little dog and then something terrible happens to this dog of his it's not just a cute dog that he found, but it was his companion for a while. And then something horrible happened to it, and his consolation was, at least it was put out of its misery, but he didn't forget about it. And then it turns out it hadn't been put out of his misery. So, you know, he's got reason to be pissed off at Bartok, who's freaking lying to him all the time. Now, okay, so first of all, let me finish with the dog thing. I thought the dog puppet was pretty good, for the 80s. I know what you're saying. Sure, sure. Nobody's going to think that this was a real creature, but... uh, I thought, I thought it was pretty good, as I thought all of the special effects and uh, practical effects in this movie were, were very good. The creature effects. The director of this movie, uh, Chris Wallace, this is one of his first directing gigs, and, and one of his few, actually. But he came up through Roger Corman. He worked on Uh Piranha and Humanoids from the Deep, which is one that we've done. He had a small role to play on Star Wars Return of the Jedi doing creature design and effects. And a few years before this movie was the creator and designer of the Gremlins, which is another movie that we've talked about. And we've talked Uh about him on that episode as well. Fantastic job on Gremlins. You can even see a little bit of that in this when you see the fly at the end, I think. He's almost got Gremlin eyes. but. You know, he comes up, he does Enemy mind. he does the, origin- the all the creature effects for The Fly, which were outstanding. Yeah. Which we've done on this show. Then he went and did the makeup and creature effects for House 2, which we also did on this show. Yep. <laughs> Love it. And I guess by, by this time, um, they had asked for a number of people to direct. David Cronenberg wasn't interested in directing this movie. He wasn't available, I guess, to direct the second one. Boy, I would love to have seen this, by the way, uh, directed by David Cronenberg. Mm. That would have been interesting. Even Sam Raimi was offered the part of directing mm-hmm. this, but uh, he and his brother Ted had written a treatment for it that was super goofy. And I think they were just afraid to put him behind <laughs> behind it after that. Uh, and so he ended up with it. And so, you know, first time director, but obviously he made sure that the creature effects were solid because he, he also did them for this movie
0: and I thought it was good well it certainly was effective in tugging at my heartstrings. I I, I shouldn't say it looked bad I, I just I, I mean it was it was good and it was heart wrenching I would say overall I thought the creature effects were good too and I actually like you said how interesting would it have been to see if David Cronenberg had done this oh, because geez. I feel like this movie they must have felt like we have to step it up from the last one, because they do. I mean, the, eventually there is the complete transformation. He turns into, you know, this giant fly and i really liked those effects too and of course they were all practical and they did a lot of really cool stuff with the camera work and only showing certain parts of it at certain times not not to dwell too much on this but i just have to say once again another really
1: missed opportunity here something that didn't make a lot of sense to me is like we just said he gets really angry at her why does he wait until so much later in the movie to get angry at mr bartok I expected the next scene to be him storming into his house or his office and screaming at him. Like, you I, you were yeah. my dad, and you lied to me about
0: this dog, and blah, 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 blah. And there's none of that. None of that
1: happens. Right.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, he does eventually get mad at him, but for a different reason. You're right. You know, that would make sense. But it's at this point in the movie where he starts to change. You know, after the whole needle in the arm thing, he told the doctors that he wasn't going to take his medicine anymore. As it turns out, as we find out later, they've just been injecting him with placebo the whole time anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But at this point, uh, he starts to change. The wound from the needle um, starts to seem infected, and and then it starts to progress. I I guess before that, uh, it's important to say that he forgives beth and awfully quickly <laughs> very quickly yeah. but you know that doesn't even ring untrue to me like he reacted emotionally in the beginning it wasn't her fault yeah. you know she didn't do anything and so it's like he realizes that and he gets over it and he apologizes and they get back together and then they have sex <laughs> oh, God. in his apartment it's <laughs> The sex scene wasn't that bad Except for in the very beginning of it (laughs) She's like straddling him And they're having sex And I turn to my partner I'm like It's always fascinating to me When women have sex With all their clothes on Like (laughs) I'm not I I know that I'm not really experienced In that whole area But like that's interesting to me (laughs) It's like but wait look She But now she's taking her top off So (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, they do it. Yeah, it's a very, you know, 80s safe for network television steamy sexy. all of her clothes
1: on they got the sheets completely wrapped around them and there's some gauze in front of
0: them. <laughs> as you do you yeah, know <laughs> of course so,
1: yeah, just like when you get out of bed you make sure to wrap yourself in a sheet so your partner doesn't see you naked right. in the exactly. morning
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that <laughs> uh, no that's just you um, but anyway so they're back together they have sex or whatever and then she sees his wound and she's like you should have that checked out and so he goes back to the mean doctors and like oh it's just an infection but the point is at this point he starts to progress pretty quickly this would be my only actual complaint overall i really actually still think this movie is fine i enjoy it but the makeup effects when he starts to change I was not impressed by. Jeff Goldblum, uh, the makeup effects with his gradual progression were so good. Yeah. Um, and this, like, especially when he first starts, like, you know, uh, eventually he t- turns into a great big giant fly, and that looks cool. But when it's just kind of his face starting to change, it looks to me like Halloween makeup or. Mm or stage makeup. It looks very plasticky and prosthetic-y and... I don't know. I just wasn't particularly impressed. Did you feel the same way, or am I overreacting? No, it
1: really didn't bother me too much. I thought it all kind of happened too quickly. Once again, this movie doesn't take its time, and quite frankly, I'm glad it didn't. It would have been really boring if it did, but one thing that, you know, was a hallmark of the original is just seeing that gradual change. It's just more and more and more depressing, you know, and that's just David Cronenberg. He loves this kind of stuff. Uh, Whereas this movie, it's like, he's all seems fine. Uh, And then he looks down at his arm, and it's a little goopy. And then the next scene is he's on his girlfriend's houseboat, which I was like, oh, I didn't know she lived on a houseboat. You know, suddenly, he looks like half of his face looks like Frankenstein. I just thought, Mm -hmm. well, this is gonna go quickly. And I guess it does. (sighs) I don't know. I, I, I felt like there should have been some catalyst. I mean, it just turns out this is his destiny. This was always going to happen. They were prepared for this to happen. And eventually, they just keep injecting him with with nothing uh, to make him think that his condition's being addressed. And then without any real catalyst, suddenly it goes from manageable to, oh my god, I've got half a day left.
0: Right. Well, and that's the thing. He sees... Okay, so he finds more videos I guess I don't know if they were hidden from him before or whatever but um, he sees the guy from the first movie Stathis you know warning about these changes or whatever and then he sees his dad in the evolution to the Brundlefly and so he knows what's going to be happening to him and then Bartok comes and he confronts Bartok you want this to happen
1: Of course, I want
0: it to happen. You're
1: the pattern and the prototype for a whole new age of biological exploration.
0: With you as the model. And the telepods as the tool. Bartok industry. Will control the form and function. Of all life on Earth. Corporate greed, blah, blah. It's alien. Right, exactly, exactly. But so he escapes and he he goes and he finds his girlfriend and they're on the run together and he's continuing to evolve, devolve, whatever you want to call it. Um, And he has this whole monologue uh, at one point where it's like he's past the point of no return and he has this monologue about how... He's actually getting better, like his senses are better. It's all very spooky. And it's like the
1: first one, once again, but not as not as convincing, maybe just because it happens too quickly. But there's this aspect to the first one where not only does Jeff Goldblum actually kind of get some superpowers, but he's also almost half delusional, like this is a good thing. It's obvious that he's falling apart, but it's almost like the way he copes with it is trying to convince himself that he's not. That this is an improvement. And in this Mm -hmm. movie, he just kind of jumps straight to that half evil sounding. I have all these powers now and I am improving. Ah, and then pulls one of his eyes out or something to reveal the fly right. underneath and gets really sinister towards her.
0: Yes. And and so she calls Bartok because she thinks he's that's they're the only people that will know what to do. And obviously they're the people not that did this to him but that have been fostering it or whatever. But I understand her rationale. Like there's nobody else who are you going to call? And so she calls them and they come and get him. You know, we kind of skipped over at this point, he's just like Jeff Goldblum did, like he kind of turns into Spider-Man and he can jump on buildings and climb on walls and stuff. But they come to get him, and by the time they get him back to the lab, or shortly thereafter, he kind of goes into a cocoon again, which again, like, hello science, like flies don't do cocoons, he's not a butterfly, but... Whatever. But eventually he breaks out of the cocoon and uh, he's this huge fly. And I don't know, you know, it had to be in part costume and part probably puppeteering and maybe part animatronics. And like I said before, they did a lot with camera Work so that you would only see its leg moving or you would only see its head moving. But I found it to be very effective. It looks big, it looks menacing. I I thought it was pretty scary. I, yeah. Thought it looked
1: good. Oh, it was a fantastic monster at this point. Yeah, I loved it. And and again, at this point it just became a monster movie for me. I think that was yeah. the letdown for me was okay, now it's he's this giant, no bones about it monster and it's gonna be alien in this research facility as he picks people off one at a time and I, I you know i you know i love to point these things out but this it's just so funny like how this um miss jane way is by herself in the lab monitoring this pod yeah. guy and he breaks out and all she can do is sit there and scream i'm thinking this is like the loneliest most understaffed advanced research facility <laughs> in the <laughs> whole world they've got something of such significance and there seem to be like maybe eight people in the whole building <laughs> to deal with it. <laughs> and it's of course the eight people we want to see die.
0: Yes. And you do. Uh, he kills both butthole doctors, which I appreciated. There's also been this butthole security guard who's been giving him crap the whole movie. Um, I think he eventually kills him. Is he the guy that gets smashed in the elevator? I don't um, remember. Somebody gets their head smashed in an elevator.
1: One guy gets his face melted off. He sprays his, you know, acid vomit on him. And uh, th- these, I was really quite surprised. Like, I really wasn't expecting this from this movie. I was expecting creepy creature effects. I was not expecting the in-your-face, dwell-on-them, extremely gory death It is, yeah. I mean, some of the goriest stuff I've seen in a movie. And it's well done as well. So, yeah, this guy's head being crushed, it. The camera doesn't cut away at all. It's just, here. Here is a guy's head being crushed for a few seconds. Here is this guy's face being melted off. And then after his face is melted off and he's reached up and he's peeled off half of it, he's lying on the ground. And when they come in, he's still alive, just sitting there Mm -hmm. gurgling. I'm like, oh, my God. And you would think that would have the same emotional resonance as the dog, but no. (laughs) The dog was worse No,
0: no, yeah, totally Well, and that's the thing, like, you're right It does kind of become alien for a while And it's just him kind of running around Killing people, and this is so silly And maybe it's just people like me who will appreciate Things like this, but they Highlight that even though He has become Physically this Monster At one point, the guards Sick a Rottweiler On him, I have a Rottweiler she's mm. my big baby girl um <laughs> and this dog runs up to this big monstrous thing and like is barking at it at first and then's like oh shit <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a big monster maybe i should just chill out and the big fly pets the dog like and mm-hmm. i know that that may seem so silly to some people but to me what that indicates is There is still humanity in him. You know, that that part of him that was so moved and so connected to his little doggy friend is still in there somewhere. He's not just a monster. It's a nice idea, and that
1: does come across, though I think it's pretty clunkily handled. And also, I, I like this moment where he comes up to her where he comes up to Beth. Beth is kind of cornered. He walks up and they have like a look and then he walks away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, it, it just seemed, I don't know. I mean, it's like the scene that they had to have, you were expecting it. You can't do the movie without it. But when it was done, I was kind of like, oh, like, uh, there. I don't know, like there's supposed to be some chemistry there. Maybe somebody should have said something. Mm-hmm. I, when he walked away, I just thought, man, if I was Beth, I'd be like, All right, well, that's that. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it was good while it lasted, but it uh, looks like I'm going to have to move on.
0: Yeah, there was definitely more of an emotional connection between Gina Davis and uh, Jeff Goldblum. And he wasn't five. <laughs> right, he wasn't five. So, But anyway, uh, we, we left out at some point in the movie, one of the videos he's watched, one of the last ones, he found out that the pods can cure him, but the only way they can do that is by extracting healthy DNA from somebody else and giving it to him and giving his bad DNA to somebody else which would kill them. Yeah, the, the the way he found that out was he just asked the computer, remember? <laughs> yes! Like it's like he's like, okay, Google. <laughs> <laughs> can my DNA be replaced? <laughs> oh, God, that was so funny. It was like he was at, like he invented Siri and like he was just <laughs> Siri, can my DNA? <laughs> nobody,
1: you know, without these movies to record it, nobody really realizes how amazing our computers were back in the 80s. We really took several <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) major steps back uh, in just a couple decades kids Uh, you just need to know that
0: (laughs) it was pretty funny but anyway he figured that out and that's why initially when Beth is like isn't there anything you can do he was like no because it would mean I would have to kill somebody else well now they're all you know cornered in the lab and it's just him and her Beth and bartok and bartok i feel like is holding her at gunpoint or something and somehow he gets the advantage martin does and he grabs bartok and he drags him into the pod and he tells (laughs) beth first he first he drags him to the
1: computer and gets his claw on his finger and makes him type in the, the password on
0: the computer the magic word which was dad I know, it's so, well, and like, that's the thing, I I actually kind of thought that was sad, because Bartok was the guy that told him about the magic word, so I'm guessing that when he chose that word, he was thinking about Bartok as his dad. uh, Yeah, and there's also a moment earlier when
1: he's confronting Bartok, which you already went through, but he has this line where he looks at him and goes, I, I loved you, and then he stormed out. Which wasn't the best delivered line But again, they're trying to hammer this home But it's just so clunkily handled And once again, we haven't really had much time to see the relationship between these two. It's really hard to believe that Bartok's interactions with this kid was nothing more than every couple of months, popping out of his office, ducking his head in and saying hello. You know, we still, throughout the movie, don't get an indication that there's much more between them than this. So if it's this really sad situation that he, even despite this, had these strong affectionate feelings for Bartok, it just does not come through. Agreed.
0: Agreed. But you know, I think that that bothered me less just because he had nobody. So even the most tenuous relationship would be mm. something that he would cling to. Because he had nobody except for the butthole doctors. That's true. And and Bartok. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. He He drags Bartok in and he indicates because the fly doesn't talk. He indicates to her, to Beth, to hit enter, which is all you have to do (laughs) to start the sequence. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it starts the sequence, and they transport, and you see this monstrous, gross, Frankenstein, slimy thing pop out. But then Martin walks out, and he's fine. And Bartok is now this hideous monster thing so it's the happy ending and then the most satisfying part of the movie to me and it's cruel it's horrible it makes me a horrible person for feeling this (laughs) way but um, it it ends with a shot of Bartok now in that gross pit cage that the dog was in before and somebody feeding it the slop I, I shouldn't wish that on anybody but He was really mean, and I'm glad that he got what was coming to him. (laughs) (laughs) But he was mean to that dog, damn it. (laughs) He was. I hope that he has to stay in there for two years before somebody puts him out of his misery. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was not expecting a happy ending to this movie. I I thought, you know, the guy's transformed into a fly. What more can be done? But, uh, yeah, it's genetics, right? So we can fix all that.
0: I guess that there was a sequel to the uh, the actual original The Fly. I don't remember what it was called, but I guess that they gave it a happy ending too. So, yeah, um, sort of. this is kind of in keeping this is kind of in keeping with that, I guess. But that one was ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen and I feel bad. I definitely need to see the Vincent Price one. Mm. Um but, uh, you know, when all is said and done, my memories of this movie were fonder than maybe they deserve to be. It's not great. Honestly, though, I think that if it weren't a sequel, that if it were just a standalone movie on its own, I would have thought, you know, this is a pretty good 80s monster movie. I yeah. like
1: Keeping in mind
0: 80s. Yeah. Right. Compared to the original, no, it's not as good. Um, The original is is better, but I still liked it. I was entertained and... I, I liked the characters. I uh, you know the ones that you're supposed to like. I thought Eric Stoltz did a good job, and Daphne Zuniga was serviceable as the sweet you know romantic pairing or whatever. It wasn't perfect, and and there was certainly some hammy acting, especially in the final act. But I think it's a fun movie. I like it.
1: I think I've said about everything I could say about it. I agree with you. It's a fun movie, and if it weren't a sequel to this, I probably would have received it a lot better. Again, considering it's a a movie from the 80s, so you have to forgive some of these... um Tropes, (laughs) tropes. <laughs> yeah, some yeah, things that are pretty typical about the movie, the rushed romance, you know, the ridiculous yeah. science, um and even some of the hammy acting, you know, is uh, is forgivable. At the end of the day as a sequel to The Fly, it's just really it just really let me down. I just thought there were so many interesting places they could go with it and it just turned out they just wanted a big monster movie. And so even the first um, three quarters of the movie, even though they were rushed through, could have been almost faster. Maybe. <laughs> you know? But that bit with the dog in there killed me. So that you mm-hmm. know, that took some skill.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it is what it is. And, and that's, you know, it's always hit or miss with sequels. And uh, as far as sequels go, they're hardly ever as good as the first one. No. Uh, there, you know, there's the rare exception where they're as good, or sometimes even better. Um, but in terms of sequels, I think that it is a serviceable sequel. I, I'm glad that we got to see Jeff Goldblum again, the guy that played Stathis. It really felt like they just kind of stuck him in there because he was in the first movie. Yeah, like, he he did nothing. He didn't have much to do. Yeah, it at least honored. The first movie, Mm. you know, like it, it, it acknowledged and appreciated the first movie. And I, I, I liked that. It, it, it's not amazing. It certainly didn't win any awards, nor would it ever. But, uh, if you're a fan of the fly and, or if you're a fan of, uh, 80s, Movies, which I totally am. Um, I'd say check it out. It's not a waste of your time, and it's
1: um one of those five writers on the film was Frank Darabont. Yeah, who went on to do even bigger and bigger things. He's got, you know, this guy's got his fingerprints in a lot of really interesting movies throughout the years.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he do like Shawshank and mm-hmm.
1: Green Mile? Uh-huh. He's a co- he's a writer, uh, kind of one of the show creators of The Walking Dead, and. He did The Mist, and, uh, oh, yeah, he's got, he's had his uh, hands all over a lot of stuff. He did the screenplay for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Did you know that? No. Yeah, so, anyway. Yeah, again, good. There were some talented people working on this film, and I think the special effects were quite good as well. Much better than a lot of 80s special effects, so.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. And and practical. And you know, if you listen to this podcast at all, you know that we're big fans of practical effects, mm. and they were they were good. Well, we are going to be back with you for the next couple of weeks with a couple of more sequels. We've got some interesting ones planned, so I hope that you will uh, tune in for those. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you didn't, I suppose, you can drop us a comment on our Facebook page or our website, which I will let Todd give, because I can never remember how it goes. twoguys.red40net.com We really ought to change that. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm too cheap (laughs) You remember it Anyway Let us know uh, What you think of this movie If you have fond Or not so fond Memories of it Or uh, Just engage with us In conversation About whatever you would Like to talk about We really do love To hear from you And we try to get back To everybody who contacts us So drop us a line We'll be back with you Next week Until then I am Craig And I'm Todd With Two Guys in a Chainsaw (laughs)